Hi everybody and welcome to the Health Tech Pigeon podcast, bringing you the top health tech news stories and analysis every week. I'm Henry and back with me today I've got my regular co-host Jessica and joining Jessica and I this week we have Science's very own Belle Taylor. Jess, Belle, welcome. How have your weeks been? We spent most of the week together. It's true, we did. No, I've had a good week actually. We have been on site doing some fun stuff with clients and just generally enjoying the weather and all the good health tech bits that have come out in the news as well. Yeah, it's been a busy old week. A good week. Um, and as a virtual team, it's always quite nice to go and see people face to face and hang out together. And with Belle being in Edinburgh and us being down around London, it doesn't happen that often. So it's, yeah, it's been nice to not just see clients, but hang out with Belle as well. I spent most of the week just trying not to melt, which has been partially <laughs> successful. Yeah, basically every email in my inbox has started with, hope you're not melting. I mean, we all are. Can, we can all make that It's going to be 35 on Monday. Cool. 35 cool. degrees. Right, let's move on to our first story. So, first story this week is coming to us from hothardware.com. Uh, my favourite <laughs> hardware-based websites. Um, oh. Be very careful when you Google that. Uh, it's how flesh-penetrating sound waves could 3D print implants directly inside you. So, to, to me, that's... I'm not from a science background. I'm like one of the only Somexes who's not. To me, that sounds like something from a sci-fi horror movie. Belle, you've studied this stuff for years. Talk to us about flesh-penetrating sound waves. I have to say, with a title like that, it it does sound like it comes from a sci-fi movie. Um, But actually, this is really exciting. So currently, at the moment, obviously, in healthcare, if we want to implant a surgical... Well, if we want to implant something into a body, we have to do it surgically. But... What this is trying to do is kind of think, well, what if we could inject something instead of physically having to kind of cut something open and put something in? So the basis of this technology, um, which is called direct sound printing, is based on that. So essentially they inject a polymer into a cavity or onto a bone or something in the human body and they activate it with a sound wave. Now, at the moment, there are lots of different types of 3D printing, which sounds like, um, you know, it's, it's a thing which people feel a bit more familiar with. But at the moment, that is what's called thermo or photo activated 3D printing, which is when you use heat or light to activate the polymer. Um, but what this is doing is basically saying, well, let's use sound instead, because with a big layer of flesh, heat's not going to work, nor light is going to work at activating this thing. So what they're doing is using ultrasound, again, a technology that people are pretty familiar with because we use it, obviously, for kind of ultrasound scanning and things like that. And they're using that to essentially activate this liquid and it turns into a tiny bubble, which then starts this chemical reaction and the polymer polymerizes or solidifies. It's most similar, I'd say, to, you know, those little tiny heat packs you get when you go camping and you sort of flick the bit of metal inside and they heat up and go solid. So essentially it's trying to kickstart that chemical reaction, but it's using a very short, very sharp sound wave in order to do that. Um, obviously this has got loads of loads of obvious uses in kind of medical technology, um, but it could also be used to sort of repair mechanical machines and things like that as well. Like anything that requires small holes that are hard to get to, we, they could do this. That's incredible. Like that could have huge ramifications for surgery. Do you think that might become? I mean, it's it's not going to become part of a normal surgeon specialty. Do you think there's the potential there for that to become an entirely new specialty, like implanting stuff from 
outside of the body? <laughs> well, I think it might be become part of surgery because, well, I mean, obviously surgery itself requires, you know, incisions and things like that. But in terms of people needing to replace joints, um, if it's any sort of like hip replacement surgery or anything like that, if you've also got kind of surgery where maybe something has worn away and there's the need to sort of make it better or fill up that hole or what it what it what it could be. So I think this has kind of really, really interesting approaches as to maybe not a surgical specialty, but something to be used complementary to surgery or in addition to. Really, really exciting. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. All right, let's move on to our second story. Okay, so our second story has come to us from UKTech.news. It's actually been all over the interwebs, internet uh, this week. Health tech startup Otto raises 2.8 million to digitally support tinnitus patients. And that is coming from Y Combinator, uh, Octopus Ventures, Goodwater Capital, Calmstorm Ventures, Bethnal Green Ventures. That's a a veritable who's who of VCs there. Um, Jess, you've been quite close to this story. Talk us through it. Uh, yeah, I guess this is our raised story of the week. It seems to be a recurring slot, which is nice, especially right now. But um, yeah, Otto is a really interesting company. And as you said, they were accepted onto Y Combinator at the beginning of the year. And, you know, this raise has come just months after they've sort of finished that, that boot camp. So I guess the proof is in the pudding of, uh, you know, whether Y Combinator is worth it. And for those of you who don't know, Y Combinator is an accelerator based over in San Francisco with... Um, you know, alumni like Airbnb, Dropbox, Reddit. So, you know, the Hall of Fame is uh, pretty famous. Um, and I think for up and coming technology companies, you know, it provides a really strong foundation and acceleration as, a, as it should do as an accelerator, accelerator um, to commercial success, I think, or, or what ultimately is going to be business success for them. Um, and I know that you know, the, the Otto team have been working really hard at, you know, addressing what is actually a really huge market. Um, so tinnitus is uh, a pretty common condition and one that um, seems to be on the rise. And that is likely to be down to, in part, you know, the environments in which we exist. We are all wearing headphones a lot, especially now that we're all working, you know, whether it's hybrid or virtually and that kind of thing you know, noisy environments, coffee machines, traffic, all of that kind of thing. But also, you know, whilst uh, the, the research is currently showing that COVID uh, is not causing tinnitus, you know, in long COVID and, you know, there's some talk about, you know, implications of vaccines causing short-term uh, tinnitus and that kind of thing. Anecdotally, you know, more people in the last 12 months are reporting um, symptoms of tinnitus, um, which anyone who doesn't know is audio disturbance in your ear for some people they can hear it in their brain and it can be anything from a ringing sound to a hum it can be intermittent it can be constant and it's not super well understood from a clinical perspective there's no cure um, and it can be caused by all different things but also lots of those reasons are not known as a result it's not super well treated and lots of people are kind of just left living with this audio disturbance that affects them daily um and you know not just on a perhaps physical level in in some in some people but also on a psychological level it has huge mental health implications and impacts 
And, you know, there are people who are having to have long-term sick leave and that kind of thing, because it is incredibly distressing. Um, and actually nice guidance recommends digital uh, CBT specifically for tinnitus as first line treatment. And until Otto came along, there actually wasn't a solution that provided that, not digitally. Um, and so I think that's one of the things that's super exciting here is that, you know, this is a global first, this this kind of solution. And I think that is being recognized by the strength of the, you know, investor cohort. You know, it speaks volumes that it's being led by Octopus and they've had that follow-on funding from um, Bethnal Green Ventures and, and others as well. And so I think it's a really exciting time. And, you know, we talked last week about the rise in some of these the, the volume of raises that we're seeing, particularly at this kind of seed level. And I think it's particularly encouraging, especially when we're seeing the likes of Otto, Psyomics and Holly Health, who also raised last week, who are less, I guess, on the deep tech side, but more on the kind of well-being and app-based intervention. Um, but these solutions that are actually having material impact on health issues that are affecting a lot of people and particularly mental health issues or mental health connected issues. Um, so I think, you know, that's definitely really encouraging to see. Um, and I think it's a really exciting time. Um, I think Ed, uh, CEO and co-founder, uh, said, uh, in the, in his comment in the release about the fact that, you know, now is an interesting time for not just people raising money, but people who have, um, successfully raised because it's making them think different differently about how they spend that money. And then again, I know we spoke about that a little bit last week. Um, so I'm interested to see, you know, for Otto and, and also other companies like them, how this is going to play out over the next couple of months and what they're doing differently with that investment. Um, and, you know, how long they expect it to perhaps last them, what kind of runway they're expecting to use this investment over um and and also you know what are their commercial goals in that time because our commercial goals changing based on the environment that that we are existing in at the moment but yeah so it's really exciting and it's great to see the team doing so well so congratulations to otto yeah super exciting well done to ed and george and all the otto team there it's uh, not an easy time to raise right now although i imagine having y combinator in your uh <laughs> In your back pocket makes things a little bit more pleasant going out to market. All right, let's have a look at our third story then. Coming to us from Bloomberg, everyone's favourite of the Bergs. Uh, UK health app Babylon plans job cuts in bid to slash costs. So cuts are part of a plan to reduce costs by as much as $100 million. Clinical safety and compliance teams are affected, the sources say, which, uh, hmm... Feels interesting that they would choose to cut from their clinical safety and compliance teams. We know that their IPO, they did an IPO via a SPAC, um, and that most of those have kind of plummeted as the whole market has. There's a really good Financial Times piece uh, about two or three weeks ago about how a sell-off has crushed UK companies that were trying to IPO via SPAC and that the average but the average SPAC IPO had lost 62% of its value since they'd gone to market. Babylon's has lost, I think, a bit more than that. So it's, it's a rough time for them. They're obviously trying to cut, cut costs. Is that the right area to do it in? I don't know if either of you have any thoughts on that. I think it's an interesting one because in the tech industry at large, we're seeing a lot of similar kinds of cuts. And I don't think it's hit health and health tech 
in the same way yet that it has hit some of the other kind of tech verticals, much like fintech and, and all of that kind of, kind of thing. Um, I know we obviously saw uh, Cree. They, they made some cuts uh, a few weeks ago as well, more so on their marketing team um, and their UK team um, rather than, you know, head office teams and that kind of thing. But I think it, you're right. It's bemusing as to why the cuts have been made, particularly from the clinical safety and compliance team, given that actually the importance of those things is only going to increase with the likes of uh, DTAC growing in its importance um, and legislation around compliance and regulation for health technologies, because we know, and we say this frequently in health tech, that is a wild west. And so for me, without understanding or knowing the context around that decision making, it, it seems a bit short-sighted because I think if there's one area I wouldn't cut if I was running a health tech company, it would be it would be there. Um, however, I don't necessarily know the size the size of those functions. I think there's also an interesting discussion about whether blitzscaling in health tech works as well. And I think for a company who's IPO'd, um, you know, clearly there's been a huge period of growth and you know, I can remember when Babylon was on the Digital Health London Accelerator, still very early days. And to see from then to now has it been a period of a short few years. Um, it's also worth saying, I am a huge advocate of their services. I personally use them and I've benefited so much from that. Um, being able to have that kind of on-demand direct access to a GP or any other healthcare professional um, that was kind of within their roster, ranging from anything from a pres- prescribing pharmacist, um, a nurse, all, all of that, I think, has provided a, a really important uh, accessibility layer where right now we're seeing waiting lists even to be able to speak to a GP on the phone, people calling at ATM in the morning to try and just get a call back for their unwell child or that kind of thing. And it's really changed the game from that perspective. I think probably where the compliance and clinical safety side of things is most important is perhaps on the um, kind of chatbot side. Um, and, you know, perhaps the rationale behind some of those cuts is what is the future of that part of their technology? Because personally, I don't use that as a user of their services, as I say. I find it incredibly helpful for getting the clinical advice I need from an actual person ra- rather than actually using the chatbot. So, you know, maybe there's something around that. But I think, you know, clearly when we're seeing these drops in share valuations for IPO companies, health tech and healthcare are, are not immune to that impact, despite how important the industry is in solving some of the biggest problems, I think, globally. So let's move on from Babylon to our next story, which comes to us from Rock Health, the fabulous Rock Health. So H1 2022 digital health funding, two sides to every correction. Short story, H1 has been bad. 2021 was an anomaly though, and we're still growing on 2019, 2020 figures. This is a really, really, really good article, like a really well-researched, well-thought-out, everyone calm down piece. Um, (laughs) To sort of give it a summary, what they've done is look at 2018, 2019 data, 2020 data, which obviously features a lot of disruption. And then rather than saying, oh, 2022 has been terrible and we've dropped massively from 2021, they've given it that context that was 2021 was bizarre almost in terms of investment. Like it's not normal 
for that to happen. Yeah, I cannot recommend this article highly enough. It is a really good antidote to the to both sides that keep getting pushed. One being everything's fine, which some people are pushing, and everyone the other one being like everything's on fire. Like we know the economy is not in a good place. That's so that's my political insight for the week. Um, <laughs> but this is this is a really well balanced piece. I encourage everyone if you're going to click one link in pigeon this week make it this one the return to balance bit at the end the the summary is just really nice as well um and some really good insight into the push-pull relationship that some sectors are having particularly digital mental health where you're seeing startups start to influence national policy in all countries based on their findings the research they've done and the technology they've built which is amazing for the sector but also amazing for mental health tech so Great, great article. Really interesting. Um, please click it and read it. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a great deal to add, but I think you're right. It's a, it's a really thoughtful analysis of the situation. And ultimately, what it's saying is that H1 isn't bad. It just wasn't as good as a very, very, very good H1 of last year. And I think, you know, in the context of a tricky economic climate, I just don't see healthcare and health tech going anywhere. There is still a need for people to get care and people to become healthier and get better from conditions that they are living with, whether it's acutely or chronically. And, you know, we are still dealing with the consequences of the pandemic and the backlogs and the waiting lists and the um, staff shortages. And that's not just in the UK, that's globally. And so I, I don't see that I don't see healthcare and health tech being impacted as significantly as some other industries and, and sectors, if I'm honest. Um, I, I feel pretty optimistic about it, but I think seeing these kinds of analyses that provide a balanced perspective, uh, I think, you know, we are seeing them on a more regular basis now. We talked about um, a couple of others, one from um, First Word MedTech last week as well. Um, and I think, you know, we have to be pragmatic. It's good to be optimistic, but you don't want to get, you don't want to be over optimistic. You don't want to also be too pessimistic because we have to find ways to get through. But I think having this kind of almost neutral narrative is important, not just for founders and, you know, budget holders in the space. I think for anyone in the space who is working in health tech, in healthcare, it feels very uncertain. And I can really sympathize with that. And so what I would say is, you know, take heart in this kind of data um, and this kind of analysis that shows actually it's not all doom and gloom. There are for sure downsides, but there's some really great upsides as well. Um, And I think ultimately what we will see is, you know, good will prevail. The, the, The best solutions, the best companies will come out the other side. And I think that's also not a bad thing for clinical care, patient care, patient safety. Um, and so I think, you know, with investors thinking more carefully about where they put their money, you know, the good solutions will will thrive. What we're basically saying to all, any investors listening to this, please continue to pump money into the sector so that we can, <laughs> we can stay A, relevant, B, employed. That would be great. Let's move on to our penultimate story this week. Uh, this is coming to us from Fierce Biotech, one of the finest named websites on the planet. Uh, and this is that Merck have launched a healthcare startup incubator for AI developers. Merck is taking applications now for a new biotech accelerator program for startups with a focus on AI and machine learning. Everyone's favorite uh, sort of 
not buzzwords, but uh, favorite words that a lot of people like to throw into their pitch decks. But this looks like a really interesting opportunity. Well, yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, this is what it says on the tin, really. It's an accelerator for, for startups in the AI and ML space. Um, but what's really interesting about this is that Merck are obviously providing funding to these to these startups, but also industry specific support. So as we know, biotechs and starting a biotech is very cost intensive. You know, there are huge amounts of computers and computing resources, which cost those of money. And then kind of AI and ML technology as well um, can just cost a lot of money to set up. So what they are doing is providing not only direct investment, I think up to $150,000, but also credits for access to cloud computing and things like that. Um, More interestingly, I think from the Merck side is that they are basically seeing this as a way of testing out different technologies across across their companies. So they're partnering up with companies that they think can provide that kind of up-to-date expertise and ML slash AI angle to their kind of drug discovery and drug development sides as well, whether or not that's based on actual drug discovery or helping design clinical trials and things like that. So it's a really interesting one because it's giving great support both monetarily and um, actual kind of expertise to these startups, but it's also hopefully cultivating those startups which can make the biggest impact for Merck across their, their platform. Lovely stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it looks like an amazing opportunity for, I think they're looking at startups and people who've already sort of started. Jess, anything to add? I find this one incredibly interesting given that I spent quite a lot of time working with Big Pharma and lots of the uh, top 10 Big Pharma companies. And I think one of the things I learned about Pharma was that as an industry, they're not in, they're not super innovative and they can't move quickly. And I think what we're seeing with these kinds of initiatives and we last week we also linked to the Novartis Biome which is an opportunity um for health tech companies and this time specifically for companies working in heart health um and offering very similar support around expertise funding and and that kind of thing and I think that one was actually funding of up to three million pounds for I think it's the right partner rather than multiple but I think as I say these kinds of initiatives are symptomatic of the fact that pharma realized that on their own they are not innovative and struggle to innovate because they are so big and so expansive and so being able to be responsive reactive and innovate from the inside is incredibly incredibly challenging and they do have dedicated innovation teams and i think often this is where some of these kind of accelerators and support programs are are shooting out of but they're also recognizing the value of partnering with the right startup scale-up partners in that space so that actually they can bring in that bring in the external expertise and innovation to strengthen what it is that they're doing as Bell says whether it's through drug discovery it's go to market it's um you know post-market monitoring you know the real world evidence studies all that kind of thing they're actually looking at and recognizing that maybe they don't actually own and have that expertise and bringing it in is just not a bad thing. And so I think it's a symbiotic relationship in many ways where not only is pharma benefiting because they are finding expert partners, the very best partners to help them drive forward their solutions and ultimately achieve their goals around population health and even moving into preventative health increasingly. But for the startups, they're getting exposure to a, you know, a 
commercial partner that perhaps they would spend years trying to track down the right person in that organization, given the number of people these pharma companies employ, but also, you know, expertise that exists that they can benefit from within those organizations and funding as well. So everyone's a winner, I think. Um, and I'm really excited to see some of the results of, um, results of, you know, both Merck and Novartis. And I think um, Bayer also have something similar. Um, and, you know, it's absolutely right that that this is where they should be focused and, you know, they should be supporting in the industry and, and building up these solutions that, you know, especially right now, it's a tough time to, to get that visibility and recognition and, and pushing that forward and for the benefit of, you know, the industry more broadly, as well as their own objectives. So I think it's really cool. Um, and for me, it's kind of the coming together of two worlds that I know very well and, and have enjoyed working with. So, uh, yeah, all the better. Days, yeah, should be a really interesting opportunity. There's anyone out there launching an AI or machine learning startup or scale up, as uh, as as I completely forgot existed moments ago, despite working in one. Um, okay, so let's move on to our final story this week. This is one that both Belle and I have had to calm ourselves into so we can talk about it in a rational, non-political way, as Pigeon is inherently apolitical. NHS staff have been honoured with a George Cross presentation. Belle, after you. I mean, I think my views on this can be summed up by the rolling eyes emojis that you've used in in Pigeon, if I'm honest. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think this is pretty insulting. If I'm honest, we know the NHS is chronically underfunded. We know that staff within it have been, as you've rightly said in Pigeon, had a real terms pay cut over the last 10 years. And after working through such a harrowing period of COVID with, you know, claps as their as their pay, to now basically be rewarded for that with another token of their work, to me seems a little off the nose. I'm not sure that's the correct phrase, but it just seems wrong. Yeah. Give these people a pay rise is what I want to say. It's weird, isn't it? You think in, in April 2020, they did the whole pin badge thing. Do you remember when they released some pin badges for carers? They were like, that'll, that'll fix it. Guys, I know you're working through a pandemic for a disease, which at that point we didn't truly understand and thousands of people are dying, but here's a pin badge. And you, you'd think that they would have learnt about the whole, the merit of pinning stuff onto people. Now, I also know that these the George Cross is awarded by the Queen and the Queen has no power over who, what nurses and doctors and everyone else working within the health sector gets paid. And I'm also aware that I do not speak for all one and a half million people who work within the NHS. So there might be people who love this and that's great. Congratulations. That's a, that's a you know, if this is something that really means something to you, that's a really good thing. Um, but with the pay review boards due to come back in the next, uh, I think two weeks, maybe three weeks, and the likelihood of that getting turned down, it just all feels a bit, yeah, it feels a bit claps again. It feels a bit, pots and pans banging but actually when it comes down to it no real change and that's what's going to cause more people to leave the service and yeah and I think that's the sad thing is that we know that the health service as it is is hemorrhaging staff because not only is it a difficult time but their resources are kind of getting lower and lower and the amount of work put onto each individual is getting higher and higher and that's unsustainable we know that And when that's coupled with the fact that you're not feeling like people, people who matter 
in terms of what you take home are appreciating you. I think that's just incredibly difficult. And we're seeing lots of people in the medical sector trying to make sideways moves out of it so that they can kind of, we, you know, we know that working in health tech, we've got all these people who are clinically trained um, looking, looking elsewhere. And it's a shame. I mean, it's great in lots of ways that these opportunities exist for, for people in the NHS. But yeah, I mean, this is four medals awarded to four national health services. Most people won't see this. Um, most people, you know, this press release is presumably done the rounds in some internal newsletter, but how many people are even aware that this is their, their payment for such a, such a tough time and junior doctors as well, who trained up in that time, like they've seen things they wouldn't have expected to see so early in their medical careers. And they must just feel like they've absolutely gone through the ringer for it. Um, so, yeah. I think um, it's, as Henry said, it's the, it's the clapping, it's the bottom hand, it's a virtue signal. And I think, you know, it's a shame James isn't here because I actually haven't discussed this with him, but you know, clearly he's not clin- practicing clinically, but I'd be interested to know what uh, the clinicians in his circle are saying about this, the healthcare professionals, um, because I, I actually haven't heard anything. And I don't know, Henry, you've you've got a circle of medic friends have have they commented on it like what what's being said because I, can't, I just cannot see how this is going to be received positively in any way shape or form and it, it I actually, yeah i did have a chat with i had a chat with uh, a clinician friend yesterday and this came up um when we say i have a circle of clinical friends it would be a, it would be a small circle just be two people giving me a hug um <laughs> and uh, I won't use because this is obviously a family-friendly podcast. Weird family, if you're listening to this. To be fair, as a family, <laughs> don't don't put your kids through that. But I won't use the words that she used. But um, it can be summed up as a load of. Uh, again, she does not speak for everyone. There are mm. a million and a half people working within the in the NHS. This will be an important gesture for some people, and that's good. But. I think even those people would like the important gesture and maybe a pay rise that mm. negates the decades worth of sub-inflation pay rises or pay cuts, as they should mm-hmm. be called, um, that NHS workers have had to go through. Mm. I mean, it would be slightly less offensive if everyone individually received one. Um, but even then, exactly. just give everyone £300. And, and and whilst that's not a that's great a deal, it's something. Yeah, I mean, I, I did actually... <laughs> I have actually put in here for... You can uh, you can melt it down um, and get about three hundred and twelve quid's worth of silver. That's actually wrong. It's not solid silver. There's only about yeah. ten as worth of silver in it. Uh, but the flip side of that is that you can sell them at auction for about ninety grand, which gives everyone approximately a penny once rounded up. So don't spend it all at once. All right, that feels like a good depressing low <laughs> note on which to end. Um, thank you for joining us. Can we not find something positive to end on? It's sunny. I can confirm the sun is not shining in Scotland. <laughs> I actually, we can end on a fun note. I hope that hope that Belle will not mind me bringing this up. But this morning we learned that <laughs> Belle uh, has an IMDb, well, doesn't yet have an IMDb page. But <laughs> Belle, would you like to tell us about the extraordinary talents of your hands and their uh, escapades? TV career she has had. You are, you, the TV career, the TV escapades of your digits. I feel like this is a really good note for an audio only format. <laughs> <laughs> Me talking about my hands. No, just many years ago, we, so we've got some new people working for us, which is very exciting. So we're all coming across my LinkedIn slowly but surely. 
I once designed some experiments for Horrible Science, which is an excellent children's program, um, much like Horrible Histories, where they delve into different kind of people and experiments and all sorts of fun things. Um, and I was on the episode where um, Marie Curie was was on, um, or an actress portraying her, um, and I was showing kind of the different colours of elements. So I made these little flares, um, and we have a trained, a fully trained actress come on, and she puts her gloves on, and then it does a hard cut to my hands, who then have their moment of fame for maybe five seconds while they set off a flare. So it's a big moment for me. Um, not sure I will see the small screen in any other capacity. So. Well, I don't know. Depends where Smallmax is going. But I have to say, when I was interviewing Belle as a hardcore Horrible Histories fan, uh, this ticked a big box for me. Um, I mean, I, it was we so did go fun. through several other rounds of interview, but I would have hired her straight off the bat, having having known that. James helped me back. Um, and I felt that perhaps we need to do some competency-based questions as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about that. But to be clear, Henry, that segue was quite interesting, just talking about Belle's hands with no context. Yeah, very odd. Very strange. If a podcast can't descend into complete gibberish (laughs) on a Friday afternoon after a very long week when it's 30 degrees outside, what can it do? Let's wrap it up there. Thanks a lot, everyone. That was us analysing the health tech news. You don't have to join us next week and check out all the articles we talked about and some of the best jobs and pods in health tech at healthtechpigeon.com. Bye-bye.